Attention Chicago listeners, I am part of a group show at my art studio. It will include drawing, painting, sculpture, and more. The opening reception is Friday, May 10th from 6 to 9 p.m. at the Greenleaf Art Center in the Rogers Park neighborhood of Chicago. For more information, visit rickyartist.com. On this episode of Eager to Know, a simple but sensible bit of advice and the importance of staying connected with others no matter what you do. We all have a creative part of our brain, whether we use it or not, for generating new ideas, problem solving, and just viewing ourselves in this world. I am Ricky McGeckron, an artist living in Chicago, and I am eager to know and share with you all how people of a creative leaning have brought this way of thinking to the forefront and how it has shifted outcomes. Brian Justice's career spans the visual and written arts. He was an oil painter, transitioned to being a freelance writer, and is currently working on a play. We speak about creativity across all of these roles and how he keeps things moving forward. So Brian, you are a unique species of creative, in my mind, because you have experience in visual arts and in writing. Um, Because you used to be a painter, now you're a writer. Correct. So tell me about how those two relate, or do they? I think they probably only relate in that, for me, in that they are both creative endeavors. And being successful in any creative endeavor requires, you know, a lot of like really hard work. Uh, So what what I did in visual arts, I don't think has any bearing on what I do, uh, you know, with words. Okay, so written words. So you don't see any um, when we think of like how your brain was working when you were creating paintings. Those same parts of your brain aren't those gears aren't engaging when you're writing. Um, you know, maybe because I always thought that the the trick with painting, uh, more so than drawing, maybe, but with painting, because I actually draw much better than I paint. Uh, but I think the trick with art, what you're really trying to do, especially if you did realistic figurative oil painting, which is what I did, is you're really, you're looking to see what's there. Uh, that's not obvious just at first glance or to the untrained eye or like somebody might look at a painting and say, gosh, there's, there's purple in that person's skin. But then if you sit there and actually study someone's skin, you'll see there is purple in people's skin. And with writing, it's kind of the same thing. You have to create a story. So sometimes you have to you, you have to dig out what's there that maybe if it's pointed out to someone else, they'll say, oh, yeah, you're right. That is there. Who knew? Uh, so maybe in that way, it's similar. I've talked to different artists a lot about what you just were referring to about painting what you see. See, most people would think to paint skin and it's like, they would pull out the peach colored, like the color, like the Crayola the, crayon, the crayon, like the color everybody the crayon. is, where all white people are. Well, yeah, right. And the reality is, is actually a lot more to it. Um, if you kind of disengaged your brain and sort of observe things in the way that you would really see them, so it sounds like what you're saying is you do something similar in writing. So your writing is 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 it fiction? You're right. No, it's no. Not, oh, okay. I do, I do pretty much all. Uh, 
most frankly, it's mostly business stuff. I write a lot of magazine articles, tons of magazine articles, uh, but I also write white papers, a lot of business writing, you know, blog posts, which are ghostwritten articles for, you know. So there's a subject matter that you are trying to re-express in a different way? Um, explain or sell or make interesting to uh, to a specific targeted audience. So when you say that, the thing that... Um, goes up in my brain is I think of somebody uh, painting like a photograph where you actually have this thing that's there and then you would have to recreate it but add your own flair to it or your own spin to it. Would that, would that be accurate? Um, add, add a spin to it Whether because sometimes I'm paid. My, my spin has is sometimes the last thing anybody wants. Uh, I have a client who has a spin that needs to be expressed, and I have to express that in such a way that it's engaging uh, to its intended audience. Now, I think really good writing, and this is like where I think the New York Times is so good because I have like zero interest in sports or travel, but when I do look at the sports section or the travel section, if a headline catches my eye, I'll read the article and enjoy it, even though I could care less about sports or travel or whatever. Is that because of the headline or because of the way that somebody um, wrote about... The, wrote, way, the way that somebody wrote about this particular topic. They just wrote it in such an engaging way that I made it through the end of the article, even though I don't give a shit about Thailand. So in this example where the New York Times can take a subject matter that isn't really of interest and turn it into something that is very interesting. That could be kind of like a musician or a singer taking a simple song and turning it into something amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Or, uh, you know, or a great performer, actor, actress, had taken a very mediocre script, but they're able to make it, you know, make, make a performance that's watchable and engageable and entertaining. Like what? What would be an example of that? I'm trying to think. Of that? Oh, gosh. Uh, you know, Betty Davis was very famous for being able to make successful movies with like really shitty scripts just because she was so in, so <laughs> charismatic. Yeah. You know, Meryl Streep does that now. You what know? has Meryl Streep done that in? I'm trying to th think. Mamma Mia. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm offending millions of people right now by saying that. But that's a terrible movie, man. <laughs> but she's great. The movie that I loved her in was, and I don't know if this was a popular movie or not, was The Bridges of Madison County. She was another great example from one of the world's worst books ever written. Oh, was it? Oh, my, did you read it? No, that's not oh, something yeah. I would read. Well, probably not. You would have had gotten a severe diabetes and be dead by now. We would not know right. each other. Okay. But, uh, oh my God, it's so terrible. And uh, I think that that movie is so terrible. But no, but she is Oh, great. I like that movie. So you don't like that movie? No. Why? Because it's a bad, it's badly written. It's well directed. Clint Eastwood is an excellent filmmaker. I liked the, uh, I didn't like the um, the present day stuff. Mm -hmm. um, like I thought the all the flashback stuff where it was Clint Eastwood and Meryl Streep, I thought mm -hmm. it was great. But I thought that it made the like the current day acting looked really terrible in contrast to mm -hmm. the Meryl Streep yeah. chemistry. Yeah. Like it was That's really right. it was almost like you were watching two different movies. No, I remember that. You know what uh another example of that with her movies was Julia and Julia, which is a movie I liked a whole lot. And I like Amy Adams a whole lot. She's one of yeah. my favorites. But that was like watching two different movies.
But that's just an example of somebody who can take something that's not very good and they're just they can just make it work. Yeah. So Amy Adams, uh, the first time I, I saw her was in, and I, I don't know if Junebug? No, I saw her in this movie that I thought was looked like the stupidest movie ever, and I think that she made it great. It was called Enchanted. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Okay, so the concept of when I saw the advertisement for this movie, that it was like a cartoon comes to the real world. I'm right. like, this is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, who is going... I can see that people would want to watch it, but I'm thinking this is nothing that I would have any interest in whatsoever. And I thought she did such a great job in that movie that um, I think she made the whole thing work. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, right, right, and I think there are uh, a lot of that is similar to what many of my not many. I mean, I, I the vast majority of my assignments I do find interesting, or I find a way to find something interesting about them. Uh, but I feel like my task with a lot of my writing is to almost anybody should be able to pick this up and 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 make their way through it. Okay. Uh, you know, now I wrote a 4,000 word white paper on natural and organic foods incursion into the traditional food marketplace and how food uh, uh, businesses should react to that change. And who's supposed to read that? Uh, well, uh, executives at Kraft. Oh, okay. Et cetera. Okay. <laughs> but, uh, and I got to say, it was a pretty darn interesting paper, you know. Even my mom read it. So, okay. You know, and who 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 would think? I mean, so that's 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 my task a lot of times is think beyond just who's gonna because even if the target audience reads it and it scores with them, it will score better if almost anybody could read it and get through it and find it interesting. Okay. Yeah, that that makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of New York Times, I know that you recently. Tell me about how the New York Times relates to you currently. I uh, are, you f- are, you, are you familiar with the the New York Times Modern Love column? I, uh, it's a submissions only column that runs in the Sunday style section, <clears throat> and it's all all reader submissions about and it's about love, all aspects of love, you know, romantic friendship, your dog, neighbor, whatever, and about all all, all forms of love, all aspects of love. Uh, and I had been meaning to submit something, but they're like, I want to say they might be like close to 2000 words. And I had started one and then just never ended up with like three or four paragraphs that were just, were so beautiful. You couldn't believe it. But one that did not relate to the other whatsoever. Then a while back, they started a tiny love stories offshot, which is the same concept, but they're stories that are 100 words or less. Okay. And so I thought, oh, I could do that. So I, I actually took what I had already done and basically boiled it down to 100 words and sent that in. And then like like six months ago, and I never heard anything, and thought, oh, I guess that didn't go anywhere. And then, and then about, uh, at this point, what, maybe a month ago, say, yeah, I got an email from the editor of the Tiny Love Stories column and said, we want to we wanna publish this. And, and it was like super great. And they, they get like 3,000 submissions a month which explains why it took six months to get back to me, and uh, of which they publish 16 that all go online, and of that 16, they print eight uh, in, in the actual paper, the real-life paper, like you hold in your hands and stuff. Okay. So you know it's 
good. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and so mine was one of them. So I was in the March 20, I went online March 26th, and it was in the March 28th uh, print edition. Okay, so what? Tell me about what that must have felt like. Oh, it felt great. It was no false modesty here. It was it was just awesome. There's I have no oh shucks not about this at all. It was it was just great. I felt like it was a real validation of of so, probably like the most creative thing that I've done so far. And what, you're the most creative thing that you've produced or attempted for that matter. Okay, uh, yeah, I'm working on a play, but. Uh, uh, yeah, it was just a, just a tremendous validation, and it was really great. And it, uh, you know, lots of people read it and saw it, and and who doesn't want to be in the New York Times? You yeah, know, it's great. How do you know? Uh, did you get any feedback on it? Tons, tons, and in what, tons. In what? How did you get feedback? Well, I'm a relentless self promoter, which is one of the reasons why I'm a successful writer. I send out a monthly e- email blast uh, that contains links to latest work, and I, you know, go to th- I I should could probably work doing email campaigns for people, but uh, <clears throat> so yeah that that went out and just got a huge response and you know both from people replying and say oh this is really nice uh, and that goes out to mostly business people I do have a, a list of friends that are included on cl- included on that list so they get it too uh, and assuming they clicked on the link and read it I got a lot, a lot of nice comments but it also it drove a ton of business really mm-hmm. yeah. Wow, that's great. Because I think even if it was somebody who whose job is to commission four thousand word white papers on natural and organic foods, if they read that, they you know they're just taken by good writing, and and I think even unconsciously they can extrapolate that out. Yeah, that, to think, oh, if you could write this, you can write that. Yeah. So you had mentioned something when we first started talking that um, one of the commonalities between being a writer and a artist was I don't know the words you use but basically like your work ethic and how how hard that you work and one of the things that you just mentioned was Mm self-promotion so switching over to the painter side of your life or part of your life phase of your life um, tell me about how you were successful I know you were successful because you you had told me that you felt you were successful was that because of promotion tell me a little bit about that I was successful in that I made a living Okay. Uh, now, not a good one, but just make a living in any kind of creative endeavor is quite a thing, you know, mm-hmm. and especially in something like the visual arts where you're producing something that people don't need. Mm-hmm. I, spiritually, they need it, of course, but nobody says, oh my gosh, I'm out of paintings. I better go buy one. Uh, but I was successful because I was as good a hustler and bustler uh, and as I was a painter, so and frankly, it, I was probably a better hustler than I was a painter. Actually, okay, okay, that's fair. What um, so what does that mean when you were a hustler? What did well, that, what even, did that look like? Even at that time, I did a monthly, I did a monthly email blast uh, that would say if I had a piece hanging in a gallery somewhere, you know where it was, an image of it. If I was going to be in an art show or an art fair, and I worked the art fair circuit like crazy, uh, and I do think there are a lot of artists who are just you know simply above that. Uh, you know, but, you know, fine, starve. Uh, but I did that. So like for, you know, every summer I would, every, almost every every summer I would be at an art fair pretty much every single summer, you know, with my tent out there, you know, in meaning some every park. Meaning every weekend? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, how many people on your email list did you have? You know, not a lot. I think I probably had, 
I don't know. Gosh, now we're, I feel like we're talking about such a long time ago. Probably, you know, four or five hundred, maybe. And this was before social media? Uh, yeah, yeah, it Cause was. Because it's, it's changed. People... I know. It's so weird. It really wasn't that long ago, but it feels that long ago. Yeah, yeah this was like before Facebook. Yeah, because I did emails. I mean, I, obviously, I do an email newsletter now as an artist, mm-hmm. um, but I did one before social media, and that was the that was a unique way of getting to people mm-hmm. it, because you didn't have Facebook. Yeah, I should say this started before Facebook because I did. In fact, all that remains of my art career is still on Facebook. I don't even have my art website up anymore. But Brian Justice Art, all one word on Facebook. That's all that remains. Okay. So I did move into Facebook too. So again, uh, I would post on Facebook, uh, and um, and you were yeah. going, and you were working a lot, working really hard, working a lot of hours. Um, y- yes. 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 So what percentage of your time was spent painting versus hustling? Oh, easily, easily half and half. Half and half. Easily. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And same now. Uh, I, I spend as much time shilling for new work as I do actually working. So what's interesting about this is I've been painting for like seven years and when I got into this, I always assumed that that would be the case. I mean, I thought it was going to be probably more like a uh, like forty percent painting, sixty percent hustling. Uh, I mean, I always assumed that that would be the case for whatever reason. I guess it has to do with my background. Like, I wasn't surprised by that at all. And I know I talk to a lot of artists who are like, "Yeah, I just like to be creative, and I ugh, I hate the 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 business part of it, and I avoid it." Blah, blah, blah. I think the vast majority of, of artists are like that. I've been okay. getting so annoyed at these art fairs, and there'd be somebody with a tent or a booth, and then they'd just be sitting there all day. I was like, you know, get up off your ass. You know, talk to people. Hand out postcards. Ask them for the email address, you know, and then don't sit there and wonder why you aren't selling anything. I mean, people are buying – a lot of times people are buying personality as much as they are. Yeah, yeah, sometimes. <laughs> so – uh so, so yeah, so it probably helps because I think you and I both come from like very traditional job backgrounds. Uh, so, so yeah, but the, that's, but that, that's part of it, you know, unless you're just one of those lucky ones who just happen to engage with a tastemaker who then does your selling for you, uh, you know, and helps a reputation grow and develop. And, but that's, that's very rare. Okay. So why did you stop painting and start writing? Um, the, it, uh, there's a couple of answers to that. I always say the the what the worst thing I ever did with art was that I made a living at it because it completely drained all the pleasure out of it for me. You know, in that saying, people say, "Oh, do what you love, and you'll never work a day in your life." It's bullshit. It becomes work. You know, it became a job, <clears throat> and you know that became tiresome and. Uh, and there, uh, and then I also got frustrated because as I went on, the, the, all my old stuff was so much better than my new stuff, and I found that very frustrating. And then I have a lot of artist friends whose work was just like so much better than mine, and I thought, well, why? I'm just gonna stop that. I, I, I'm just not enjoying this anymore. I'm, I'm just getting no pleasure out of this. If I still loved it, like 
crazy, then yeah, I would have kept up with it. But I just totally wasn't loving it. I didn't like it at all. It was drudgery. Okay. Well, that makes sense. Why did you get into it? Um, I, I had a job for many years here in Chicago with a small marketing corporate communications firm. And one of the benefits was that they would, the company would pay for us to take any kind of class you wanted. And even though I have an art degree, I hadn't drawn or painted or done anything since I got out of college. So and, you you studied art for in yeah, school? Uh-huh. Yeah, I have a BFA, yes. Oh, okay. And um, so I decided, you know, I, I have this talent this t- that I've been neglecting for twenty over 20 years now. So I took a painting class at the Art Institute one summer uh, and went down every Saturday for, you know, three months and took a figure painting class. And it just was great. I was like the star of the show. And, uh, and then I, so I kind of did it on the side for a year or two. And then when it came time to leave that job, I thought, well, you know, I'll just, I'll just, I'll just be, I'll just paint. And I did. And that's how that came about. And it started out as obviously a positive experience for you. Oh yeah, very much so. Yeah. I got a lot of positive feedback and, and I always liked what I did and it was, it was super fun. So. And I sold stuff. And the feedback that you get. Um, on your paintings, if you get positive feedback on your paintings, which are coming from a creative part of you, compared with the feedback that you get from a 4,000 page uh, document about (laughs) uh, organic food, I assume that you're going to feel different about that feedback, positive Uh, feedback. Yeah, I do feel differently about that positive feedback because that positive feedback usually comes with a lot of money. So, uh, and, and then I get more work and which is another big thing. Now I produce something that people need. So, uh, people need magazine articles and, and white papers and blog posts and, you know, they don't need plays, but I'm going to write one anyway. So when people respond to something that they need, that's different, obviously, than it's something that they want. So I'm talking about comparing your paintings versus your writing, mm-hmm. because I'm realizing how how different these are are to you. These are completely different. Like with, they are. With, with uh, I was I was coming into this interview thinking that it was going to be about the commonalities, and which this is great because I'm realizing they're completely mm-hmm. different for you. Because mm-hmm. one of them was a creative endeavor where you felt it was a luxury item that was something that people did not need, and now you are producing something that is a little less creative. Uh, no, but no, no. I think it's I think it's every bit as creative. It's as creative. Uh huh. Yeah. I think every every bit as creative. Yes. Okay. Because one thing I've realized about writing here's a commonality. One thing I always said about making art, like there are like gabillions of good artists out there. Um, there are very, very, very few really extraordinary ones. Uh, and so, the, so there's and there are plenty of there are plenty of good writers out there who can write a structurally organizationally, grammatically correct uh, thing, uh, but it's not engaging. So I think the writers that can write something that is organically, organizationally, structurally, grammatically correct and make it engaging and interesting and have some kind of spark in there, you know, that that's that's harder. Yeah. So it's the technical the first part is the technical part. Right. And then there's the creative, which is Right. Where- it's like, you know what? I, I used uh 
it's like you can hear two people, two pianists play the exact same piece, and that one might be they're both as equally skilled technically, and yet one, you know, you feel what they're doing. You you feel the emotion. You feel when they're playing the exact same notes at the exact same rate, and they're hitting the keys with the exact same pressure and pressing the pedals at the same time for the same length of time, and yet one, you feel you feel something in it. So and what it, what is that? That's just a, I think that's just an in innate innate gift that those people have, because I don't think it can be taught at all. You can be taught to write an organ a organizationally, structurally, grammatically correct thing, but you can't be taught how to give it a spark. Do you think the same thing applies to painting? Yes, yes. I, you see plenty of of uh, technically proficient pieces of artwork out there. And uh, and you think, oh, that's nice, that's pretty, that would look good over my couch. Uh, but then, you know, you see others that just, there's something in it that just speaks to you. Okay. And so then that, when, when we look at the, the, so there's the technical part, the creative part mm-hmm. for both of these. When mm-hmm. we look at the creative part, do you see a commonality with you in the writing and the painting? not you know forgetting about the technical on both of them are they coming from the same place inside of you or is it truly different parts of you uh you know they i think they're coming from for me they're coming from two different parts okay mm-hmm. yeah because with the, i felt like with the painting I mean, there was thinking involved of course uh but i think with writing there's more thinking involved i mean there's a natural there's a gift but i just think because because like with a painting you know this you could do something like amazing like in in 20 minutes and you can work for 20 hours on something that sucks Mm -hmm. and with writing i have found it's you can come up with something that's pretty damn good pretty fast but it for me i guess i can't speak for all writers out there for me Everything I write, I have to finish like at least a couple of days before its deadline so that it can sit overnight and I can go back the next day and tweak it and fix it up and clean it up and then ideally sit overnight one more time and go back and, and, and just turn it into this neat, tight, concise thing uh, that, that's a better piece of work than what it was after that first draft. Uh, with with my painting, I uh, you, you uh, people always say, "How do you know when you're done?" And I thought, "You well, it's done when you're done." And I thought I was pretty good at knowing when it was done, when it was finished. Uh, but uh, I think, am I making any sense at all? Yeah, Is this... you're, you're making perfect sense. Okay, uh, <laughs> with with painting, I think, or a, a visual thing, for me. Uh, Usually what I did the first time, I think the best part of my paintings were usually the first, the first, uh, you know, the early stages, kind of like the more I worked on it, the worse I got. Writing's the diff- is for me, is different. The more I, writing, there is definitely an end stage. For me, there's like, this cannot get any better than it is right now. So with painting, it was harder to, uh, to think, you know, this, this could be better. Though I always had a very interesting experience with maybe an exception or two. I always like coming across 
art paintings that I haven't seen in years because they're in somebody's house or, or whatever. Most of my stuff, I have no idea where it is. I have okay. no idea whatsoever where the 97% of my work, I have no idea where it is because it all got sold and went away somewhere. But <clears throat> I do like, I generally when I see something older of mine, I do like it. I think, oh, that's actually, that actually is pretty good. Cool. Yeah, I, I can relate to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, and it, you are like, at least my experience is sometimes I will look at some older stuff and be like, wow, that's, where did that come from? Like, mm-hmm. I don't even think mm-hmm. I would be able to, my brain doesn't think this way anymore. I don't know mm-hmm. how I came up with that. Like, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't always happen with everything, but I've definitely seen mm-hmm. some stuff from the past and I mm-hmm. think that way. You know what I do, if you're looking for commonalities, here's something. My my process, both with painting and with writing, is very mechanical. Uh, when I was painting, by the time I actually started putting colored paint on canvas, the canvas looked like a paint-by-number. I mean, I would meticulously draw out what was going to, what was going to happen. Uh, and, you know, and then do... Uh, then do you know underpainting so I knew what was going to be red, what was going to be blue, gr- you know, green, whatever. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, yeah, and uh, and I really enjoyed that. And the same thing, my writing process is that is actually very mechanical. So well. how do you do a um, how do you do an underpainting with writing? Um, that's a good an question. Out, like an outline. Uh, yeah, I, I do a very rough outline, depending on the length of the. That's not exactly true. Even my short. I have an ongoing assignment. I write tons and tons and tons of articles for this international corporation for their in-house quarterly magazine. And I write articles that range from 150-word profiles to like, you know, 2,000-some-odd-word cover stories. And even on the 150-word profiles, I have to create something of an outline. Uh, so, so, yeah, I guess that would, that would be... That would be uh, you know, I, I, I interview hun- literally hundreds of people you know, over the course of the year for all this magazine writing, and I transcribe all my interviews. So I have what they say in front of me you know, in black and white. They're very words, uh, which I think is a very mechanical process. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, so from, my, uh, you know, and from that, I do an outline and, and then work from that, which I think is probably not unusual for most writers probably do the same thing. But, you know, like I said, if you're looking for commonalities, there was that. My my painting process was actually very mechanical as well. Okay. So tell me about the play that you're working on. Um, well, I I uh, started it a little over it last February, and I, and I only worked on it in that February, February 2018. And then I thought, well, as long as I had worked on it, over the last year, I can say with a straight face, I'm running a play. Well, then that year passed, but it's going to start again because I, I'm actually going to participate in a couple of writers' workshops because uh, I think one of the things that made me stop working on it is a human nature thing. I believe that humans, it's just human nature for the most part. People just don't do anything you know, until they have to do it. And so my my painting, I had to do because I had to make a living. And my writing, I have to do because I ha- make a living at it. And people are expecting, you know, 3,000 words by, you know, May 10th or whatever it might be. So I have a deadline and I have to do it. And then people have to like it and they have to pay me for it. The play, you know, there was nothing keeping me to it. 
Uh, so I, I'm doing a couple of writers workshops where I will be expected to have a scene or a few pages done, you know, by this time next month or. So does that mean you go and are you actively writing during the workshop or are you presenting? Both. Both. So you will be right. You will be writing. Right. And, and go away with homework, you know, to come back with, you know, you need, you know, three more pages, you know, the next time we get together. Okay. So, so, okay. So do you have, obviously you would have an outline for that. Kind of, yeah. Yeah. A, a plot structure and a cast of characters. Now, what, um, was this initiated by like the, the creative idea or was it just, I want to write a play. I need to think of something. No. You know what happened? I was driving and I was listening to Fresh Air with Terry Gross and she had Greta Gerwig on. Who and Lady Bird was just out, and you know this huge sensation. And Terry asked her something about how she understood that there wasn't a whole lot of monkeying around with the script. That you know there was not a lot of ad libbing. And Greta Gerwig said, "said No, there wasn't. You know the the script's the script." And and I appreciated that, uh, even though I'm seldom edited, so it's not like that's something I wrestle with a lot. But um. And then she said something that really resonated with me. She said it was just such a beautiful experience to hear these actors read these words that I had written. Mm, yeah. uh, and I thought, that would be really cool. I could do that. And I don't want to write a movie because I don't know how. And I just think it would be really, really hard. And, uh, and plus, it would just never, ever, the movie, even if I wrote a screenplay, the odds of it seeing the light of day is pretty much none. Um, but I thought, well, I could write a play. I could do that. Uh, and here in Chicago with all these, I mean, there's a zillion theater companies. And honestly, I don't even care if it gets produced. If I got a staged reading, I would be thrilled to death. I have a friend who is a playwright and he um, had a reading of his play. And I was asking him, like, what was that like to see it come to life with actual real actors? And he mm -hmm. said it was incredible. Oh, yeah. I just think that'd be amazing. I would, I would love that. So, <clears throat> So hopefully these workshops will... You know, get me off my ass and working on that. Okay, so is this the the painter creative part of your brain, the writer part of your brain, or is this a new part of your brain that you're using you know, for this? It's a it's part of the writer brain, but it is also resurrecting a part of my brain that lie dormant for many, 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 many years. Because even when I was a kid, actually, I liked it to write stuff. Uh, you know, I was a voracious reader, so I was like wanted to write a book. Uh, and so I'd write like little, like little booklets that were usually just variations of whatever I happened to be reading at the time, you know, the borrowers. Uh, can't think of other stuff. I was a very precocious reader, so I started reading very, very adult books at a weirdly young age. But uh, um, and then, and you'll find this interesting. But then I would like, I would like illustrate them too, you know, because I drew constantly as a kid. So, but then the writing part of it, and I was like on the school newspaper and all that, but then the, the writing part and uh, wanting to write fiction, that, that went on. And I still don't particularly, I have no interest in writing fiction, you know, at all uh, now. But, uh, so it's part of the writer brain and then part of another, another creative impulse that really had not been touched since childhood. Okay, and then I'm sure we will see the hustling kick in at some point, and you will be hustling <laughs> your your screenplay, or your or your play. My play, your yes. Your play, yeah. Which I'm intentionally writing, so it's very cheap and easy to produce. It's uh, even, even like a production of it probably wouldn't be much more than a staged reading. 
Probably. Okay. All right. Well, we are starting to plant the seeds for this <laughs> yes. already. <laughs> Very good. So you have experience in a lot of different creative areas. What can you, what a couple of pieces of advice that you can give to people that listen to this podcast to help them move things forward for themselves or engage the create creative part of their minds um, in what they do? Mm-hmm. You know what? I think that, um, you know, be a, be professional about it. If you're going to be a painter and all the successful painters I know, and I touched on this already, the thing that made me, when I say successful, it just means I made money at it, you know? Uh, and by that, I mean, I was able to live. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's a job, you know, treat it like a job and, uh, you know, and, and do homework and make connections and network and just, just don't, you know, create this thing of beauty and sit back and then wonder why nobody buys it when you don't go talk to anybody or show it to anybody. And the same thing with writing. My, my, you know, I work for myself and from home. I have a very nine to five schedule and I, I write in my office. I don't, you know, I go in there by nine o'clock every morning and I'm shaved if I'm going to shave that day, but with my hair combed and shoes on and, and dressed and I don't, you know, I don't work on my laptop in my sunroom and my bathrobe. Uh, so the advice would be, you know, treat it, re- treat it respectfully. Treat it as it's, it's, it's a job. It's a profession. So be a professional about it. Yep. And be nice to people. So, you know, just, yeah, that, that's a big one. That applies to all the areas of life. Just be nice to people. At a minimum, be polite. But be nice goes a long, long, long way. <laughs> so what do you, what do you, how do you define nice? Uh, friendly. Outgoing, chatty, gregarious, nice. You know, uh, at a, like I said, at a minimum, polite. You know, not sullen. Okay. Because <laughs> I know, I know, I, I do know a very sullen artist who is very successful, but you know, God, what a drip. <laughs> who will remain nameless? I am here. <laughs> oh, how embarrassing! Gosh, sorry. <laughs> so, <laughs> so. Um, any, do you have another one or is that it? Uh, like it or not, you got to sell it. That's all there is to it. Whether you're out there doing it yourself or you managed it, you know, a a gallery, gallery people interested or tastemakers. I'm very, it's really struck me with the, with visual arts, how key it is, is to get tastemakers to, to promote you and sell you. Uh, it's frustrating because. I think a lot of people are successful. Uh, I mean, they're talented, certainly, but they're successful because they hooked up with it with the right tastemakers and influencers. But don't you think? I, I think that that's applicable in anything. Well, most things. There's certain things that. Yeah, yeah, certainly. I mean, I'm successful as a writer because I connect with people who are in a position to either buy what I'm doing or they have a role in deciding who's going to do what I'm doing. Yeah. So I suppose you could call and, you know, they, and they influence other people and, you know, refer me to other people. So, yeah, I, it's, I suppose it's sort of the same thing. Yeah. I mean, I think that's just more of a, when I hear that, I feel like that's just sort of part of being a, a human about anything in life is sort of connecting with others in a way that is going to help you move things forward. Mm-hmm. Because yeah, you, you can't do anything on your own. You're always going to have to rely on p- others 
no matter mm-hmm. what no matter what it is no matter what you do mm-hmm. so i think this is where being nice and polite um ties in mm-hmm. um but also just realizing that you have to rely on others to move things forward mm-hmm. uh yeah yeah you can't you cannot do it by yourself so there are two different things that you mentioned that you work on obviously we have these white papers and then we have this new play that you're working on when we look at the creative component to that is the creative component similar for each of those? Uh, creativity certainly goes into both, but the uh, so I would say that the, the 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 creative instinct is the creative instinct. It's just that it needs to be expressed in one way in a white paper or a magazine article, and another way in a in a play or a or a novel or a you know or whatever but does it require more create more do you have to access the creative instinct for one over the other or is it really just the same i think that uh you know in many ways i think it'd be easy to say well gosh writing a play that takes a lot more creativity than writing writing a white paper in some ways writing a white paper takes more creativity you know again it comes back to the writing the short stuff you know it's much much harder to write something short that it is something long. Uh, that's why I'm so proud of the the tiny love story that I did. It's only a hundred words, but it tells you know a sweeping story. Uh, and w- I think it was Mark Twain who said, "If I had more time, I would have written shor- uh, written a shorter letter." Uh, so, so it takes it takes more creativity to make you know a four thousand word white. Keep, I keep bringing up the same thing. I write a lot of white papers on different topics. So let's write. Let, let's talk about uh, you know a three thousand word white paper on data analytics and healthcare. It takes more creativity to make that interesting to uh, to a to a the general audience. Uh, other than an audience besides its intended audience. Uh, you know, it takes a lot more. Like, sure. more I mean, a lot. That seems obvious to me. Definitely. Again, back to the New York Times sports and travel stories that I don't give a shit about. But if I read them, I find them engaging. And I'll usually read them all the way through. Okay. Um, so where can people learn about what's going on with Brian? Uh, Brian at brianjustice.com is probably about, about the best one. If you want to get on my email list, you can do that. Certainly. Um, I'm the most reachable man in the world. You Google Brian Justice and brianjustice.com is the first thing that comes up. Uh, there's a Brian Justice in California who does kind of the same thing I do. He's more of a marketing guy and he comes up too. He's a lot better looking. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so pictures of both of us will come up. So the the good looking one is me, but the real good looking one is the other <laughs> is the other Brian Justice. So I, I hope people that listen to this, seriously, do it. Google Brian Justice. You'll see, too, and you'll go, wow. Okay, that must not be the writer. <laughs> <laughs> All right, great. Well, thank you very much. This has been really enjoyable. Thank you. It's been very fun. It's I've, you know, My job is to talk to people and be interested in other people. No one's ever interested in me, even though I, th- I think I'm fascinating, but hardly anyone expresses an interest, interest much. So, no, it's been great. Thank you. All right, cool. My name is Ricky McGuckerin, and you have been listening to Eager to Know, the podcast. If you haven't already, please go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next week for another Eager to Know podcast. 